morning, the afternoon, or evening, wherever or whenever you are, ladies and gentlemen. This is Sports Crunch with D. Crom. I'm your host, David Cromelo. And it's hard to believe, but the 2021 NFL Draft is just over three weeks away. And in that spirit, we will begin our annual Dash to the Draft Divisional Tour tonight. This eight-part series will give you the best possible insight on what your favorite team should do when they are on the clock. And for our first of eight stops, we visit the NFC South, a division that is home to both the defending Super Bowl champs as well as the team that may hold the keys to the entire draft. And to help us analyze all things Falcons, Panthers, Saints, and Bucks, it's a pleasure to welcome Bill Rossetti of SI Panthers and the Bengals Wire to the program. What's up, Billy? Hey, David. Good to, good to be chatting with you again. Thanks for having me on. You're very welcome. It's always a pleasure chatting with you, Bill. And as I alluded to in the intro, uh, the draft arguably begins at uh, number four overall with the Atlanta Falcons, and they are sending mixed signals as to what their intentions are. Chris Wardson just reported that they may have their eyes on selecting Matt Ryan's heir apparent, and the apple of new GM Terry Fontenot's eye is believed to be Trey Lance also according to Chris Mortensen. But on the other hand, Adam Schefter reported today that the Falcons have received calls for the number four overall pick and they are open to moving down. Do you believe the Falcons' best course of action is to either stay put and take a quarterback or trade down with no plan C? Yeah, I'm glad we're kind of starting with the Falcons because, I mean, the the Falcons really are kind of one of the biggest wild cards right now in in this draft. And I'm really excited to, to see what they do because... I think you're right with what you said at the top. They really kind of hold the keys right now because they kind of have, you know, a lot of power, right? Sitting at number four, we know the top three picks are are going to be quarterbacks. So inevitably there's only going to be two left and, you know, teams are going to be fighting to try to move up. Um, Obviously the Falcons, like you said, could be in in play for one of those quarterbacks as well. I, I keep going back and forth with the Falcons because this is a tough decision for them. This is a, a really interesting spot for them because, you know, you basically locked yourself into Matt Ryan for probably the next two years with the restructure of the contract. You know, his cap hit next year is going to be like almost $50 million, I think, something like that with the restructure. But clearly they think they still have something with this offense and maybe they feel they can win now. But on the other hand, it's like you're hoping you don't want to pick this high for quite some time, right? You know, you, you don't get too many off, too many chances to be in the top five here and have your potential pick of a couple of franchise quarterbacks, whether it's Trey Lance, whether it's Justin Fields, whether it's Mac Jones. We assume they're going to have their choice of two of those three if they stay at number four. So I'm so torn. I think... I, I I don't know. It, it, it's a really tough call. It's, I'm glad I'm not Terry Fontenot right now. I can see them going either direction, really, and, you know, staying at four, picking one of those quarterbacks, staying at four, taking, you know, someone like Kyle Pitts, who can really help that offense get back to close to an elite level. Maybe they take an offensive lineman. I, I could see them going someone like Panay Sewell or, you know, even Rashawn Slater. You know, I know there's questions. Are you going to kick someone inside? You know, would you play one of them at guard? Would you move Jake Matthews to guard? You know, so there's a lot of different ways. And then obviously a trade down is a, is a big option. You know, you could see a team like Denver from at number nine come up and, uh, and make a trade with them. Maybe, you know, New England all the way down there at 15. If they're willing to pony up, maybe the Falcons do something with them. I think the trade, or I think the the reason too, we're now starting to hear these rumblings of you know, oh, Atlanta's open to trades at number four. I think maybe if you kind of read between the lines, this was probably, and obviously we'll get to the Panthers in a moment, but um, you know, I think that's kind of why the Panthers ended up going with Sam Darnold because the Falcons, or the Panthers probably tried to talk to the, to the Falcons, or maybe at least maybe put some feelers out there, and the Falcons are basically like, no, we're not trading with you. So. The Falcons know they are in a, uh, a pretty good position, but this is a, a tough spot, especially with a first-year head coach and Arthur Smith, first-time GM, Terry Fontenot. You know, this is going to be the pick, really, that kind of helps define their legacy, right? You know, that, that yeah. first, especially a top-five pick, this is what's going to uh, 
to really set the tone. So this is a big one for them. So I'm really excited, but I'm so torn as what to do, to be honest. Oh, yeah. And uh, in Chris Mortensen's report, I believe he alluded to the divisions between Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot themselves. Like, Terry Fontenot really loves Trey Lance, but Arthur Smith believes that uh, Matt Ryan has at least two good years left. And uh, to capitalize on that brief window of opportunity, he might want a, a Kyle Pitts because Arthur Smith, as we know, as we saw what he did with Jonu Smith with the Titans these past years, he loves those tight ends. And uh, if you think what he did with Jonu Smith was great, just wait until he gets his hands on a guy like Kyle Pitts, who is a transcendent prospect. He, he He's more than just a tight end. He is the ultimate mismatch weapon in today's game. Uh, he, it, it, I understand the temptation to stay at four and take a guy like him because he is arguably the best prospect in this draft class not named Trevor Lawrence. So it is a brutal Tough decision looming ahead for the Atlanta Falcons. And I wouldn't be surprised if Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot still haven't come to an agreement. And they might still be a disagreement until a week before the draft. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And obviously, you know, with this much time left, that's still okay. I mean, there's, you know, there's still plenty of time to kind of think about what you want to do. But, you know, I, I could certainly see Arthur Smith's side of it too. You know, like you mentioned, we saw what Arthur, Arthur Smith did with the Titans. Um especially wanted to run the football a lot too. And if the Falcons can figure out a way to do that and kind of prolong Matt Ryan's career a little bit more in Atlanta, that's obviously going to be, you know, a big advantage to both Ryan and to the offense as a whole. Now, obviously the question becomes, what is the running game going to look like? You know, I could see them at some, some point, maybe in like the middle of the draft going running back, but, um, like you said, Kyle Pitts, you know, he has that ability to really just open up any offense, really. You know, you could just he's, – he's the ultimate joker in this in this class. And obviously what I mean by that is, you know, or I should say chess piece, really, is probably a, a, a better word or better term to use because you could really just move him just anywhere in that offense. So, you know, you put him in an offense like Atlanta's – you know, with Julio Jones, with Calvin Ridley, you know, and to, to some extent, too, Austin Hooper. We saw him kind of, uh, or excuse me, not, not Austin. Hayden Hurst. Uh, Hayden Hurst, yeah. I'm traveling back in time. <laughs> yeah, sorry. We're, we're still, uh, uh, apparently I'm wishing it wasn't, it was still 2019. <laughs> Hayden Hurst, yes. Um, you know, he came into his own a little bit, too, as the, as the weeks were on. So now... You know, and the NFL is a copycat league. You know, this 12 personnel is making a, a big comeback, and New England's right at the forefront of that with John Smith and uh, and Hunter Henry. You know, maybe Atlanta goes that route, and you have uh, Kyle Pitts and Hayden Hurst. So, you know, really wouldn't fault them if they uh, if they wanted to get Kyle Pitts, especially. Uh, you know, that's the other equation too. With you know, if they want to trade down. And if Pitts is an option for them, well, if they trade down, then they're probably not going to get Pitts because he may not get past Cincinnati at number five. So a lot of questions for the Falcons what to answer and what, two and a half weeks they have to figure it out. So really going to be exciting to see what they do. Yes, and uh, and their decision is probably not going to be made until the 49ers pick their uh, quarterback at three. And uh, speaking of quarterbacks, you mentioned that yesterday the Carolina Panthers indeed acquired Sam Darnold from the Jets in exchange for a sixth-rounder this year and second- and fourth-round picks in 2022. But even more important, and this is a tell, they are also expected to pick up the fifth-year option on Darnold's contract. Do you still see the Panthers trying to move up the board to draft a quarterback, especially if, like, say, Lance or Fields falls beyond four? Or can we pretty much rule out quarterback in round one for the Panthers? Yeah, I think uh, trading up is probably a lot less likely now for the Panthers. Um, like I alluded to earlier, I wouldn't be surprised if they put out a feeler to Atlanta at number four, but I never really thought Atlanta was going to – make a deal within their own division uh, for a team that they know would be coming up for a quarterback. So that's really why, and, you know, as we've seen, you know, from some of what we read too, this trade was in the work in the works for a couple of weeks too, you know, going back to things really started to ramp up at uh, Ohio state's pro day, ironically enough. So 
I wouldn't totally rule out the Panthers going with a quarterback, but I think that would only be if, say, one of them happens to fall to to number eight. Because, you know, I think they're in a position now where they obviously feel comfortable with Sam Darnold, you know, like you said, picking up the, the fifth-year option. It's really not a huge financial commitment either because you're only talking $23, $24 million over the next two years, including that, uh, that, that fifth-year option. So I think they can sit back now and kind of take BPA. Because really, too, if, if you look now at the teams between, say, Atlanta now at four and Carolina at eight, there's really not a lot of teams that they're going to be able to uh, trade with. I mean, we talked about Atlanta. I don't think Cincinnati is going to trade out either. I'm really starting to feel like the Bengals are going to sit at five and take their guy, whether it's Sewell, whether it's Chase, whether it's Pitts. Miami went back up to six because we've been reading they wanted to kind of get back to near where they were after they made that trade with the 49ers. So that's why they ended up kind of being in cahoots with the Eagles as well. So then you get to the line at seven. You know, are they going to move up one spot? I mean, if they really still want to go after one of these quarterbacks, I guess we can see it happen. There's kind of precedence there going up one spot. Um, especially with Detroit, I think being a, a very good possibility of a team trading into that spot as well, whether it's, you know, say Denver at nine, New England at 15, Washington could come up from 19. So if the Panthers want to make that move, I guess I can see it. But I think the play now is they are going to sit at eight and just take best player available, whether that's later. Yeah, that's uh, where I think the Panthers are headed as well. And on to the uh, New Orleans Saints. And this is obviously the first draft for the Saints in the post-Drew Brees era. And they would obviously need the miracle of miracles for a quarterback to fall into their laps in the first round. Yet, given the overall strength of the rest of their roster, what should their basic plan of attack be for this draft? Saints are interesting. You know, I think they, as far as the quarterback position goes, I think they kind of did what they kind of needed to do, and that's re-sign Jameis Winston. I'm still under the belief that Jameis Winston is going to be the week one quarterback. So them getting him back for uh, a cheap deal. And obviously I was one of those people that really kind of uh, was taken aback at first when we saw the news about Taysom Hill. But then when you step back and actually look at it, it's like, oh, okay, they don't, they added four dummy years. So it's, it's not as, as bad uh, as it looks. But as, as far as what they need to do, you know, Saints are interesting. I can see them maybe um, – you know, cornerback is certainly a uh, a possibility here. You know, we don't know the future of Marshawn Lattimore, especially after his recent stuff. They obviously had to cut you know Jenkins, so there's a bit of a hole, bit of a hole at the the cornerback position. Wide receiver is an interesting spot too. You know, obviously Emmanuel Sanders isn't there anymore, and uh, so they really kind of don't have anyone again opposite uh, Michael Thomas. So you know, maybe uh, Darius Tony. There in uh, at the back of round one, maybe someone like uh, Rashad Bateman or you know one of those wide receivers. So I think at the top of the draft, I think you got to look, especially with you know the changing of the guard at the quarterback position, get Jameis or Taysom, whatever the case may be, get him some more weapons, um, you know, and, and just kind of kind of see what they can do. So I think the line's set. I think for the most part, the offense is pretty set. Um, you're pretty good, I think, on the front seven. So. Off the top of my head, those are probably two of the biggest needs right now for the Saints would be wide receiver and uh, the cornerback position. Uh, yeah, especially with uh, Marshawn Lattimore's uh, contract uh, coming up, uh, they may have to hedge their bets in a very deep corner class and pick a potential replacement for him uh, in the chance that they are not able to re-sign uh, Lattimore to a long-term deal. And moving on to the Super Bowl champions, and when you look at the Bucks, uh, just look at what they did in free agency. They have... Uh, kept that almost that entire band together so to speak and uh, I believe they're the first team in the salary cap era to return all 22 of their starters the season after winning a Super Bowl and that tells you that they're all in for at least uh, uh, 2021 and uh, that puts them in an interesting spot uh, in the draft uh, 
they like uh, can uh, still take guys that could uh, contribute uh, early, but they can also uh, use this draft as uh, building blocks for for the future because a Tom Brady isn't going to be around for that much longer. At least I don't think so. Uh, So they're going to obviously have to prepare for the post Brady era sooner rather than later. So my question is, should the Bucks prioritize drafting players that can make an immediate impact this season in which they're hell bent on repeating or should they uh, use their draft capital on players who could turn into franchise cornerstones in two to three years, even if they need to redshirt in 2021? Yeah, I, th- I think with the moves the Buccaneers have been making, this is just all their chips are, are back in the middle of the table. You know, and we even right when Brady signed and no one's the original contract, this was always the plan, I think, for, for the Buccaneers. And, and I, I would have said this, I think, even – you know, even if the Buccaneers didn't have as great of a season, even if they didn't come close to winning the Super Bowl, say they lost in like the divisional round to the Saints. Well, this was still all, always going to be the plan. This was a two-year window for the Buccaneers. They just obviously jumped through that window ahead of schedule, winning the Super Bowl in the first year. And now that they've got that first one, and Brady's still there, they're going for they're going for a repeat. Like you said, everybody's back. That's why I think you know. Defensive tackle is a position I've seen a lot of people talk about that the Buccaneers can use with that first pick. Someone like, you know, Levi Onzerike of, uh, of Washington. You know, they, if there's kind of a, a bit of a spot they could use a little more depth or a little bit more oomph, it's probably, uh, the defensive tackle spot. You know, there was a bit of a question as to would, would, uh, Dom Sue come back? Obviously he is. You know, Vita Vea is back, but he's had some injury questions. Um, but they have some uh, some decent guys, like even Raheem Nunez Rochez back there. But adding another big body like Onuzarike to, uh, you know, just kind of give them some fresh snaps at that position, you know, spell Sue a little bit, spell Vita. I think that's uh, a possible direction. Other than that, I mean, obviously, you know, there's there's not really many glaring holes. Um, they could certainly go running back with the 32nd pick as well. You know, I would, uh, I would not be opposed to seeing somebody like Travis Etienne. Oh yeah. And head off catching passes from Tampa Bay. So those are probably the, the two biggest. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, I think their, their plan is to get immediate impact players now and go for that repeat. It's going to be interesting to see what the Bucks do. And for the record, on our last episode where we discussed the running back class, Brian Bosarge of the DeepFryDraft.com, uh, he said that uh, the Bucks and Travis Etienne are the perfect fit. Etienne could easily play the James White role for Tom Brady down in Tampa. Absolutely. And, you know, shout out to Brian. He's, uh, he's an incredible draft guy. You know, I've met him a couple times at the Senior Bowl. He's incredible. So if you guys aren't following him, then you better go, go find him. Obviously, uh, call David too. He does a, a great job. But shout out to Brian. He does incredible work. But I really like that uh, that comparison. I, I think that's a good way to look at it. Is the you know a much more athletic James White. Uh, yes, uh, and even a more explosive James White, uh, because uh, tra- tra- when some people look at Travis Etienne, they see a Jamal Charles type talent, and James White wasn't necessarily Jamal Charles, so to speak. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that, that, that's a good comparison too, you know, because Jamal Charles, you know, I'll, I'll always have love for him because he helped me uh, win my fantasy. <laughs> one same year here, same here, man. A year he had those five touchdowns against the Raiders. Um, but yeah, you know, Jamal Charles, obviously he had that home run speed and that's exactly what you have with Travis Etienne. He can just get to a, a second level, you know? So I, I could see it. I could, you know, cause that 30 second spot, obviously we saw it last year with the chiefs, you know, with, um, with Clyde Edwards, Lair. it's really just about, you know, these teams are just going, going for the gusto and, you know, just looking for guys. Yeah. You know, it's all about it's all about offense at this point. That's the way the NFL is with uh, especially a lot of these spread formations. Travis Etienne, I think, would be uh, an incredible. I think that would really be nice. So if that works out, watch out. 
Indeed, and he is Bill Rossetti, ladies and gentlemen, of SI Panthers, the Bagels Wire, and numerous other homes. You can follow him on Twitter at Billy underscore Rossetti, and that is R-I-C-C-E-T-T-E, folks. And Bill, uh, right now we're going to do my favorite part of this Dash to the Draft Divisional Tour, and it is the three-round mock draft. We're going to do three-round mocks for all four teams in the NFC South using the acclaimed mock draft machine from the Draft Network, and we're going to start with the Atlanta Falcons as we start the draft right now. Let's see, Jaguars start with Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson. Oh, uh, we got a trade offer. Broncos are offering... uh, uh, their first, second, third, and fourth this year. I'm going to uh, do that. Oh, this is a dream scenario for the Falcons, though. Trey Lance is still available, and given the fact that Trey Lance might need a year or two to marinate, and given Matt Ryan's contract situation, that might be the ideal pick for the Falcons here. Trey Lance or Kyle Pitts, which one would you go? We're going to keep the pick for this exercise. And this goes back to what we were talking about earlier. This is basically the decision that it comes down to. But I really do like Trey Lance in this spot. And especially since the more I think about it, I think Mac Jones is going to be the pick for San Francisco. (laughs) So Trey Lance could be there for Atlanta. And if he can sit behind Matt Ryan for a year and then kind of take over in a year or two, I think that's, not a bad move. So I would probably lean toward Trey Lance. Like I said before, you really don't want to be picking this high anytime soon. So you're really not going to get many opportunities like this to get a quarterback. And everybody's already starting to say next year's quarterback class isn't that great. I really haven't looked at it yet, but a lot of people I read on Twitter say it's really not that strong. So this could be the year that you've got to go. So I would, so if I'm in this position, I'm taking Trey Lance. We're in agreement. Trey Lance at four to the Atlanta Falcons in our three-round mock for the Falcons. And uh, Trey Lance, uh, before we arrive to the Falcons uh, next pick, what do you think makes him such a great fit uh, for Arthur Smith? And why do you think Terry Fontenot likes him a lot? Yeah, I, I think at times Trey Lance gets a, a bit of a raw deal just because a lot of people really haven't seen him play, right? You know, he's, he's only played. I, I get the concern of only 17 career college starts, and I get the fact that they've all been against FCS opponents. But North Dakota State runs an offense that gets quarterbacks ready for the NFL. I mean, you know, we, we've obviously seen Carson Wentz go number two in the, in the past. So, I mean, the system is there. It helps quarterbacks. He, he basically helps run the show at, uh, at North Dakota State. And, you know, he's obviously shown he can be a pretty mobile quarterback as well. I mean, he has, what, like 14 rushing touchdowns and over 1,000 yards or so rushing in 2019. So, I mean, he can beat you in a, a multiple, you know, in, in a bunch of ways. You know, he can, if he has to sit for, I, I, I do think he's, you know, a good example of one that, you know, can get some time needed to, adjust to the NFL level and to have someone like Matt Ryan to learn from, I think that's a, I think that's a match made in heaven. Yes. And now we're on the clock again with the 35th overall pick in the uh, second round. And uh, one of the Falcons pressing needs is the linebacker position for new defensive coordinator, Dean Pease and Dean Pease loves those linebackers. And David Collins is that ski versatile backer that, uh, uh, that Deed Pease, who's a Bill Belichick disciple, might really like in the scheme, but he also got two good tackles on the board, and Liam Eichenberg of Notre Dame, Dylan Radins, uh, Trey Lance's teammate from North Dakota State, uh, or Christian Barmore from Alabama, if you want to team him up with uh, Grady Jarrett, uh, put Grady Jarrett at five tech and Barmore at nose tackle, that uh, gives the Falcons a uh, better pass rush, so lots of great options to choose from here. For sure, especially the the tackle positions. You know, Zayvon Collins is certainly an interesting thought here. Um, I think he would be a, a pretty nice value pick if he can if he does fall out of the first round. But boy, I'm a, a huge fan of Dylan Raiden's, um, and it, it would just work out that you know if we make this pick, we get a pair of North Dakota State players to start the draft. But Raiden's. Can really give the Falcons a, a lot of versatility. Like we talked about before, 
I know there's some people that think maybe they should kick Jake Matthews inside to guard. Well, if you, you take Raiden's, you have the flexibility because both can play. I think Eichenberg, you know, really is in a is a good spot as well. So if you want to kick Matthews to guard and put, like, say, Liam Eichenberg out there, boy, this is a, a good position, you know, a good decision. Uh, these are two really good offensive tackles here, but um, I do like Eichenberg the more that, that I think about it, and I think you can put him at left tackle and maybe kick Jake Matthews inside the guard. So I would say my pick here would be Eichenberg, actually. Liam Eichenberg, we uh, draft the quarterback in round one. Trey Ladd said we get the insurance for the quarterback in Liam Eichenberg in round number two for the Falcons. And uh, uh, why are the Falcons mulling uh, putting Jake Matthews inside a guard to prolong his career or something like that? I guess to, uh, I guess to prolong his career, maybe some people out there. And, and this is, like I said, just kind of what I'm seeing from people that uh, – a couple of people that follow the team more than I do, I guess they just feel guard might be a better fit at this point for Jake Matthews. Maybe they just need a, a fresher body at left tackle. Um, you know, it, it's it's a good spot. And, you know, they uh, they haven't really, you know, if there is a weak spot on, on the Falcons. I think it is uh, those guard spots, uh, at least one of the guard spots. Maybe this is just them trying to, think of them just trying to get the five best bodies uh on the offensive line so you know i'd have to look more into that i'm really curious but uh like i said that's just a couple things i've seen just from people that you know really follow the team uh, a lot more than i do so i i find it rather interesting but i can certainly see it like i said especially if you go after one of these tackles especially if you take one in the first round so Definitely gives you flexibility, so I'm really curious if they go that route. But like I said, I'm, I'm a I'm an Eichenberg fan. Really, I, I love a lot of a lot of these offensive tackles. This is a really good offensive tackle class. I uh, guess and uh, a Notre Dame offensive tackle with a very high floor is as safe a pick as you can make in the uh, second round. And now on to the third round pick, 68 overall in this three round Falcons mock draft. We got Trey Lance and Liam Eichenberg to protect him. Uh, pressing for the Falcons remains edge rusher, and the best edge remaining on the board right now is Carlos Basham out of Wake Forest. Do you think he would be good value here for the Falcons? Yeah, Basham here in the third round isn't too bad, and you're right. I think this is definitely a, a spot where, you know, this is this could be a spot they are in a position they look at in the, the second round as well, depending on who's there. Say someone like Joseph Asai falls there or uh, – of the way, whatever the case may be. It's funny. Basham in the third, you know, not a bad pick. I know there's some other decent guys. Uh, the kid out of UAB, I think, has some uh, some intriguing upside as well here, too. But, um, you know, I, th- I think that's a, that's an interesting name here to look at is, uh, is Carlos Basham. So not a, not a, not a bad thought there. Uh, yeah, and a tight end is another uh, pressing need for the Falcons. Uh uh, Tommy Tremble of Notre Dame is the best tight end on the board. Uh, do you think uh, he should be a pick over Basham? Tremble's not bad. Um, obviously, I'm a pretty high on Brevin Jordan as well as you know, I'm sure a lot of other people yeah. are. Brevin, you know, if it wasn't for Kyle Pitts being so high, I think uh, Brevin Jordan would seem to get a uh, a lot more a lot more intrigue. You know, when you know, we talked about the, the two tight end possibilities. So Tremble could be, uh, if they want to go that route, if, you know, assuming since we did pass on, uh, we did pass on Kyle Pitts in the first round, I think we could go, you know, we could certainly go tight end and then see what, uh, what edge rushers are there in the fourth round. Or, you know, if we take Basham here in the third, I know there's some other intriguing names later in the draft, the tight end. You know, I'm actually a, uh, pretty decent fan of uh, Kenny Yaboa, actually, too, out of Ole Miss. And then the one tight end, just real quick, the one tight end I'm really intrigued by, you know, where he's going to land and, you know, where in the draft is uh, Matt Bushman out of BYU. He's really one I'm going to have my eye, eye on as well on uh, on day three. So I would probably, 
they'll bash him, you know, then depending on, you know, what other edge rushers are out there. But uh, 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 no, no qualms. Uh, there's no um, uh, 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 edge rushers. Uh, the next best one, at least on their board, is Janarius Robinson of Florida State. So, are you, uh, so should we go Carl Spasham here? Yeah, I have, I have no qualms with uh, with Basham here in the third. Yeah, yeah, especially with Edge being such a valuable position, the second most valuable position on the football field. Uh, we'll give the Falcons Carlos Basham Jr. with their third round pick at the three-round mock. And that does it for the uh, Atlanta Falcons. And uh, now we go on to the uh, Panthers. The Carolina Panthers, uh, having picked up Sam Donald, they're going to obviously wait and let the board fall to them at eight. Ooh, we got an interesting board here. Uh, oh, my God. This uh, mock draft machine is crazy. They left us Trey Lance and Justin Fields and Kyle Pitts all at eight. And that's not going to happen in reality, folks, just to let you know. But if you're the Panthers here, uh, do you take uh, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, or Kyle Pitts? If it, if it did come to this unlikely scenario. <laughs> this is kind of the, this is almost the dream board. I'm assuming uh, the two tackles are, or at least one of the tackles. Both is are off gone. The board. Yeah, both are gone. There you go. Okay, so both Sewell and Slater are off the board. So even still, this is a pretty good board. Um, boy, I... We talked about the possibility that the Panthers, you know, maybe could still go after one of those quarterbacks. I could really see them grabbing one of these quarterbacks here, you know, even with Sam Darnold. Remember, they're not totally committed to to Sam Darnold. It's not like they really gave up a huge haul in terms of draft picks. I mean, yeah, they gave up a second-round pick, but that's a second-round pick next year. So it's really, you know, everybody says, oh, these rounds, you know, these future the year after. So they really didn't give up a lot. And again, they're not really all that financially committed to Sam Darnold. So if this is the board, I think they could go either quarterback. Um, I still have Justin Fields ahead of Trey Lance. So probably if I'm sitting here, I probably go with Justin Fields. But either way, I think you can, you know, let the quarterback sit behind Sam Donald, let him run the show in 21, because you're probably shipping Teddy Bridgewater out of there. Um, like I said, I think I still slightly have Justin Fields, so I, I'm i going to mix it up a little bit. I'm going to go with Justin Fields here as uh, the pick. I, yes, I definitely agree with you there, Ed. Here's another um, uh, reason on top of uh, many for the Panthers to select a quarterback if the board uh, turns out this way, and it unlikely will, uh, is that if Fields was there at eight. They could draft Fields, trade Bridgewater away, have him and Sam Donald compete for the job year-round, and then trade the surplus quarterback uh, after the competition is done. Absolutely. You know, I, like I said, I, I they made the trade, but are they 100% committed? You know, and, and the thing with Sam Darnold, too, you know, kind of to play devil's advocate here, what if he only leads you to like a 9-8 a and eight record, which still sounds so weird to say, but we better get used to it. But if he only leads you to like 8-9 wins and you're still kind of stuck in purgatory, well, now you're almost in the same, if not worse, position than you are going into this year when it comes to your quarterback position. So if you can still get one of these quarterbacks – you know, and if these quarterbacks fall there to eight, I think the Panthers really have to consider it. Like I said, you know, maybe the chances are lower that they trade up for one because they're trading for Darnold. But if at least one of these guys are sitting there, and ideally both of these guys are sitting there at eight, they have to consider it. Now, you know, at least one might be there, again, depending on what teams trade up. But they absolutely have to consider the possibility if one of these quarterbacks is sitting there at number eight, but it would be so tough to pass on Pitts at number eight. But they did bring in a, a tight end in free agency and Dan Arnold. Obviously, Dan Arnold was nowhere near the level of Kyle Pitts, but at least they kind of addressed the tight end position, which we expected them to do this offseason. But 
like I said, I, I think Fields, if he's there, they if he's sitting there, they, the Panthers at least have to absolutely consider that. Yes, and now we're on the clock with the 39th overall pick for the Panthers, and uh, well, they got options galore here, man. Look at this board. Uh, uh, yeah, you got Christian McCaffrey, but uh, he uh, showed that he's not as durable as he once was last year, and uh, you lost uh, Mike Davis uh, in free agency. Javante Williams from North Carolina is still on the board, uh, but uh, given the amount of resources you have in McCaffrey, I don't think they should make that move. Jamin Davis, the linebacker from Kentucky, who just had an amazing pro day, and uh, he has got some underrated tape. Mel Kuyper Jr. loves Jamin Davis, and him and Shaq Thompson could create another uh, lethal linebacker duo for the Panthers. Uh, and uh, Nick Bolton, David Collins are on the board as well. Uh, if you want to replace uh, Curtis Samuel in the offense, they had another weapon. Elijah Moore from Ole Miss still available. Plenty of options here. What would you do? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you know that third wide receiver position. If they want to get some competition for uh, for David Moore, you know, they also have a uh, their two big guys set to become free agents at the end of the year as well. Both DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson are entering their their contract years, and uh, you know. Just real quick, I just want to circle back. I apologize. I, you know, I did forget as we were talking about Mike Davis. We were talking about the running game. Yes, Mike Davis is there. You know, could the Falcons still draft the running back? Absolutely. They didn't give much to Davis, but he's still a good number two running back. But uh, for the Panthers, yeah, third wide receiver is a uh, is a possibility. You know, linebacker. It's an interesting thought, but you know, they also did kind of revamp the linebacker room you know i really like uh th those are two of my favorite signings not just for the panthers but an entire free agency so far with the panthers getting hassan reddick to uh yeah to help with some edge pressure and then you got denzel perryman you know if perryman can stay healthy that's a really really nice middle linebacker and you know they can get past the uh the dreadfulness that was the uh, the Tiger Whitehead experiment in 2020. Now, Jermaine Carter played pretty well, I think, too. Um, but, you know, Zayvon Collins, you know, that's an, you know, an interesting name. There are some of these other linebackers, Nick Bolton. These are interesting names, too, because, um, you know, if you want to bring in another linebacker, that'll free Jeremy Chin up. You know, and, and eventually... Yeah, Jeremy Chin... Jeremy Chin was my defensive rookie of the year last year, just to uh, set the record. Yeah, no, he had a he had an incredible season. There's there's no doubt about it. I totally get them giving it to to Chase Young. You know, Chin missed a couple games. I think that kind of took him out of the running. But absolutely, you know, for a while, Jeremy Chin was looking like the defensive rookie of the year. So linebacker is not a uh, bad spot. I think defensive tackle. Is a uh, another possibility here? You know, they uh, really don't have much. Yeah, Levi Onzerike is still available here. And that would, I think that would be. I would have no problems with uh, with Onzerike there at uh, Carolina. I mean, you're talking just inside the top forty. There's a kid like like we talked about with Tampa Bay could sneak into the first round. Kind of need some bodies there uh, in the middle of the defense as well. You know, they cut K1 short. Uh, Kyle Love retired. F.A. Obata is now in Buffalo. So this is going to be um, a completely different, you know, even Zach Kerr is no longer there. So you need bodies at the defensive tackle spot. So this is another position, I think, that uh, they, they really have to look at yes. at some point. And given the weakness of this uh, defensive tackle class, uh, I think Onzerike would actually make the most sense here in this mock. Yeah, I'm all for that too. I think Onzerike, you know, athletic D tackle. Um, you know, I obviously they did draft two D tackles last year, but again, you know, even with that, they don't have many bodies outside of Derek Brown and Bravion Roy. So you got to get bodies in there, and I would, I would not have a problem with Onzerike there, and I think he would really start to have a. a 
a really nice young defensive line to really start building the core of this new new look defense. Yeah, so we'll go Levi Onzerike for the Panthers' second round pick at this uh, three round mock. And uh, uh, Levi Onzerike, how does he fit into Phil Snow's defensive scheme in Carolina? Yeah, like I said, he's a really athletic interior guy. You can play him at the three tech. You know, these uh, this is a team too that you know has done a nice job of kind of moving some of these bodies around. You saw with uh, especially a guy like F.A. Obata. You know, F.A. Obata kind of started his career on the outside. It's kind of a big DN. They started picking him, picking him inside, and he really started to have success at the at the three tech. So, you know, this is a team that I think really likes getting those kind of athletic. Interior D tackles, you know, it's just unfortunate that a guy like Kwan Short couldn't stay healthy because he could have still been that uh, that really solid piece in the middle. But you know, Derek Brown obviously showed a lot of flashes in 2020, and I think on Arunzarike, especially as a second round pick, can uh, can really help continue to really add to the depth and rotation there. I think, like I said, you would have what I would think would be Three really nice young D tackles there in Brown, Levi, and Roy. Yes, and we're on the clock again in this three round mark for the Panthers at 73 overall. And uh, they desperately need a tackle. Uh, the t- top two tackles on the board are Jackson Carmen of Clemson, who might be a better guard, but Spencer Brown of Northern Iowa. He's an intriguing uh, player with a lot of athletic upside. And uh, a lot of people say that uh, this. Uh, part of the third round could be excellent value for a guy like a Spencer Brown. Uh, given the Panthers need to tackle, uh, should we draft Spencer Brown with this pick? Yeah, obviously you uh, you can't argue with the fact that you have a kid that's a legit six foot eight that moves around as well as as Spencer Brown does. And you're right, offensive tackle is still a bit of a need, you know. Yeah, they gave a lot of money to Cameron Irving, but is that uh, is that really the direction that they want to go? You get Cameron uh, Spencer Brown in there, and now you've got yourself a uh, at least a competition out there at left tackle. Obviously, I think it's starting to become safe to say that the Greg Little experiment is starting to come to an end. It hasn't really panned out for the Panthers. Um, but at least, at least they locked up Taylor Moulton, at least for this year. You know? Yeah, for the franchise still, tag, yeah. Still expecting a, a long-term deal at some point. But at least they gave him the franchise tag, which was expected all along. So now you got to get somebody there at, at left tackle. And then, you know, the rest of the offensive line, eventually you got to kind of tweak that a little bit too and, uh, and start to get younger. You know, they did bring back John Miller, but eventually they're going to need somebody – at the, the right guard position, uh, Matt Paradis is going to be a free agent after this season. Uh, I think they are expecting Dennis Daly to uh, at least compete again for that left guard spot. They also brought in, of course, uh, Pat Elfling from the uh, from the Vikings and the Jets. But um, you know, Spencer Brown, I I would have no problems with this pick. I think, uh, like like you said, an athletic. Six foot eight tackle in the uh, in the third round, you know, like I said, let him come in and compete with Cameron Irving. See what you got. You know, Cameron Irving, you know, with all that money they're giving him, probably going to be the favorite right now. But if Spencer Brown can come in and beat him out, then you know, all the better for for this team. Uh, Yeah, really. Yeah, I I think Cameron Irving is more of a guard than a tackle, personally. And uh, when you add uh, Spencer Brown to that room, uh, you add some much, much needed depth at offensive tackle. So we're going to conclude this three-round mock for the Panthers with Spencer Brown, offensive tackle from Northern Iowa. And now we proceed to the New Orleans Saints. And as you said, the Saints... uh, Getting some more weaponry for uh, Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill should be um, paramount uh, in this draft as we uh, start the mock draft machine up again. 
And uh, here we go. And uh, the receivers uh, that could be available for the Saints at 27, you mentioned Rashad Bateman, but uh, they might not have to look uh, that far. There's this other guy from LSU in their own backyard named Terrace Marshall, who uh, tested almost as well as Jamar Chase did at, at the Pro Day. And I think he could be another intriguing addition to go opposite Michael Thomas. Uh, and uh, I think he has a great complementary skill set uh, to Michael Thomas. Thomas, that elite uh, route running, do it all route running, David. At Terrace Marshall, given Jameis Winston's uh, inconsistent accuracy, he's a Cortland Sutton type that could go up and get the ball. So, uh, so th- th- that's another great option here. And let's see what wide receivers uh, are uh, on the board. Uh, you got Kadarius Tony, Elijah Moore, Rondale Moore. Uh, unfortunately, none of those wide receivers we mentioned are available. Kadarius Tony and Elijah Moore are the two best ones left. Yeah, he's the names that I talked about earlier, of course. And you know, I'm a I'm a pretty big fan of Kadarius Tony. I would I would like that like that fit as well. Um, I can certainly see Terrace as well in uh, in New Orleans. Obviously, the uh, the Louisiana connection. So really, both of those guys, I think, with a would really complement Mike Thomas pretty well. You know, I would have no problems with Terrace there, but like I said, I'm a, I'm a pretty good fan of Tony. I think he, uh, I think he would look pretty nice there in uh, Florida, but you know, no qualms either way. I think both receivers would fit in really nicely with the same. Well, here's another intriguing option. Corner is another important need for the Saints, as you alluded to. And Caleb Farley out of Virginia Tech is on the board. Caleb Farley was thought by many to be a top 10 pick, if not top 10 talent in this draft, until uh, he underwent his uh, second back procedure in like a 15-month period. And uh, and given all the uh, uncertainty due to the medicals this year because of COVID and, and teams not being able to access that information, it's a huge issue for teams. And we're going to see Caleb Farley fall quite a bit, but... Do you think this is pretty good value for Caleb Farley at this juncture of the draft for the Saints to take a gamble? Yeah, I mean, like you said, the big thing, of course, is those medicals. You know, can he get uh, can he can he get checked out? Excuse me, but um, yeah, Caleb Farley. You know, I was a huge fan of his coming into the draft and. Or I, I should say, going into the uh, the college season, obviously too, you know. So it was, um, you know, obviously you totally understand his decision to sit out the season, being being the first one actually to do so. Um, late first round, though, I don't think it's a uh, it's it's a bad gamble. You know, you're, you know, these these late round picks, a lot of these people consider to be almost like second round picks anyway. So I wouldn't have a problem taking Caleb Farley, you know, with this being just inside the top 30, you know, if the medicals check out, then yeah, you basically got a awesome player. Yeah. 28 or wherever we are. But uh, just uh, for the hypothetical gun to your head, uh, your choices are Caleb Farley or Kadarius Tony or Elijah Moore. I think we're going to, I think I would take the gamble on on Caleb Farley here. I think there's still, you know, or at least the Saints probably still believe there's still a little bit of a window there. And really all these guys, I think, can help with that window. But, yeah, I, let's take the gamble on uh, on Caleb Farley here. Uh, yes, uh, Caleb Farley is the pick for the Saints in this uh, three-round Saints mock at 28 overall. And uh, you mentioned, uh, or I mentioned earlier, that uh, you have uh, you have Marshawn Lattimore um, uh, coming uh, out of contract very shortly. And if you can't extend him, you might need to hedge your bets. And uh, there's very few people better to hedge your bets with, if you're the Saints, than uh, Caleb Farley. Absolutely. You know, again, it all comes down to those medicals. But if he checks out, then somebody's going to get a steal. If not, then, you know, you could still look at guys like, uh, Greg Newsom, um, Freddie Malafonwu, a couple other guys. There's even some, you know, intriguing names later in the draft. But you know, would and it, it only takes one team to feel confident enough in Caleb Farley's medicals 
to to stop this slide. So yeah, there's that's going to be one of the biggest stories now in this draft too is how far is he going to fall? Which team is going to feel the uh, most confident and, in his medical? Uh, we're on the clock now at 60 for the Saints, and the wide receiver cupboard is bare. The best wide receiver available is Nico Collins, followed by Dwayne Eskridge of Western Michigan, Amon Ray St. Brown of USC, and Tylen Wallace of uh, Oklahoma State. Uh, uh, those are the four best receivers uh, left on the board, and uh, uh, but, but outside of that, you got Wyatt Davis from Ohio State, although they're pretty stacked at the interior offensive line, although the Saints love to collect offensive linemen. Uh, Jabril Cox, linebacker out of LSU, could be a, a very good pick here. They could do a double dip at corner with Asante Samuel Jr. Um, or Elijah Molden, whose father Alex played for the Saints. He was the first round pick of the Saints, I believe, back in the uh, 1990s. And uh, uh, Marcus Williams is on the franchise tag, but given the uh, cap issues, if Richie Grant is still uh, on the board here, do you consider Richie Grant? Yeah, I mean, Rich, Richie Grant, you know, pretty rangy. Pretty rangy safety, really, really intrigued with him. Um, you know, how much longer does Malcolm Jenkins have? But you could probably then just stick uh, CGJ uh, in there at some point as well, the way they really like to move their safeties around. Jabril, Jabril Cox is an interesting name, though, too. You know, there's not a lot of uh, athletic, rangy linebackers like you have with Jabril Cox in this draft. I think whoever gets him probably in the second round is going to get themselves an extremely athletic linebacker. He's, you know, become one of my, uh, you know, minor draft crushes after the first round. So Cox is a really intriguing name here as well. And then, you know, some of the receivers you mentioned, uh, Amon St. Brown, some might say this could be value for him at number 60. You know, some you know, I know there's people out there, I'm sure, that still have him as a, a top 50, top 40 pick maybe. Uh, Dwayne Eskridge, really, really intrigued by him as, as well. So a lot of, uh, still a lot of talent, I think, here in the, at, at the end of round two. So I think we're in a good position here if we're the Saints, if this is what the board looks like. Uh, yes, but uh, Mickey Loomis, uh, robot, <laughs> that's what I'll call you at this juncture. Uh, you've uh, only got one choice. Uh, who do you take? Hey. You know, let's go ahead and plug in the the wide receivers. I know wide receivers obviously very deep, but, you know, I could see the Saints going wide receiver pretty early. Obviously, we considered Tony in the first round and passed on him. I think we'll go with a wide receiver. And I think we're going to go with uh, Amon Ray St. Brown here. Amon Ray St. Brown it is at 60 for the uh, New Orleans Saints. And how does Amon Ray St. Brown uh, compliment uh, Michael Thomas? He's, uh, you know, I'd have to go back and, uh, and watch him a little bit more, certainly. But, you know, from what I see, what I hear, people talk about he's uh he's one of those he seems like a sleeper you know it doesn't seem like he gets you know as much love as maybe some people feel he should so you know he's definitely somebody that i gotta you know go back and and, and watch for sure i don't really have much of a feel on him but you know like i said just from what i see from other people that i trust he's uh you know he could be a value here at, at number 60 and you know in this kind of uh obviously high tempo offense maybe he you know maybe they move him around the field a little bit and just um you know just to kind of take the pressure off him knowing that michael thomas was there i think it would be an intriguing fit but like i said he's definitely somebody that i need to uh you know kind of refresh myself a little bit more on for sure Thanks, and uh, we are now on the first of the two third-round picks the Saints have in this three-round mock for the uh, Saints. And uh, the Saints, uh, one of their other areas of long-term concern is at edge, and the uh, best edge on the board is uh, Jordan Smith, the guy who you alluded to earlier from uh, UAB, University of Alabama, Birmingham. Uh, but uh, you also got uh, Cameron McGrone, a linebacker from Michigan. Uh, he would be another pretty good pick here. Uh, and... Uh, 
In terms of safeties, you got uh, Ardarius Washington out of uh, TCU, uh, a, a potential uh, long-term uh, replacement for uh, Malcolm Jenkins, potentially. Um, who do you got here? I mean, those are certainly a couple of intriguing names, but you're right. They certainly have to look at, um, at least a little bit, look at edge. You know, obviously Cameron Jordan's still playing at a, a pretty good level. And, you know, we've seen Marcus Davenport kind of flash a little bit more. Um, but you're right. I am, uh, I am pretty high on, on Jordan Smith here. I think he's certainly one of the more intriguing names in you know, we, we know there's not really a lot of love at the top of this edge class, um, but some of these guys here in the middle, like Jordan Davis, is a uh, or or Jordan Smith, excuse me. Um, I, I almost have the country music singer <laughs> in my mind, but uh, yeah, I like the kid at a at a UAB here, so I would uh. You know, I get, maybe this is just some of a bias on my part, but he's probably the guy I'm pulling the trigger for uh, at this pick, just to kind of get some more pass rush help there. Yeah, George Smith makes a lot of sense here, especially with the Saints losing uh, Trey Hendrickson and his production to the Bengals and feeds the edge um, uh, should be a priority for the Saints within the first three rounds. And now to the final pick of this three-round mock for the Saints at 105 overall. Uh, let's see who we still have on the board. We've... Uh, uh, it's a uh, pretty bear, but you got uh, an intriguing quarterback prospect that Sean Payton might want to add to the room. Sean Payton just loves to collect quarterbacks of the draft year in, year out. And, uh, with Jameis just on a one-year deal for now and, uh, Taysom Hill's future uncertain, this could be a good spot for Kellen Mond here. It could, it, it really could, you know, Kellen Mond really has been, uh, one of the wild cards in this in this quarterback class really people really can't figure out how they want to label him, I guess, or how good they think Kellen Mond actually is here. But I mean, we're basically at the end of round three and you know, this is a kid that definitely can use some time as well to develop and to come into this quarterback room. And, you know, like you said, so, get a chance to work with Sean Payton. I, I could see this being a, a spot for Kellen Mond, definitely. Yeah, we'll make Kellen Mond the final pick of this uh, three-round mock for the uh, New Orleans uh, Saints. And uh, last but not least, moving on to the Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers with their three-round mock. Three picks in the first uh, three rounds. And... Uh, we uh, begin right now, and uh, you mentioned uh, defensive line is a uh, area, a potential area of uh, long-term concern for them. Uh, but as we wait for the uh, board to come to us, I, I'm sort of uh, th- uh, thinking maybe they could uh, actually, believe it or not, go linebacker at 32. Todd Bowles obviously loves his linebackers, and uh, uh, Devin White's a larger piece, but Levante David's only resigned for two more years, and to pick. Uh, uh, a third guy in the rotation to eventually replace Levante David and form that one-two punch with Devin White could be a very, very interesting uh, scenario for the uh, Bucks here. And uh, the Bucks are now on the clock at 32. And uh, uh, we, Caleb Farley's still there, but uh, we're not going to take it because we gave him the Saints. Uh, you got Christian Barmore from Alabama still on the board as well as Levi Onzerike. Uh Barmore is... Uh, Considered by Betty as the best defensive tackle in this class, said a lot of people say if he's there for the Bucks at 32, they have to take Barmore because he'll he'll be ready to go in an instant. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, Barmore is interesting because you know there there was a lot of hype on him coming into the 2020 season, and he kind of started a little bit rough, but as we saw as the weeks wore on. Barmore really start to come into his own again and really started to kind of live up to that height that a lot of people were were putting on him. So for sure, it's going to be really interesting which of these two defensive tackles gets drafted first. You know, and I think you uh, you really can't go wrong with either of these guys. So yeah, I, I think both of these guys would uh, would look pretty good here at, at, at Tampa because you know we. Like, like I said, we touched on defensive tackle. They could certainly use some guys, 
back there, even with bringing back Indomitian Sue. Uh, you can certainly use some guys uh, in the middle there with, with Vita Vea and with William Goldston. So, yeah, I I would have no problems with, uh, with either of these D-tackles. Oh, yes, but since we uh, gave uh, Levi Onsriki to the Panthers in their four-round mock, we're going to give Christian Barmore to the Bucks at 32 in this three-round mock. And uh, Christian Barmore, do you think he's a day-one contributor in Tampa? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, like I said, you know, the, the momentum that Barmore started to build as the 2020 season wore on, and he really started to be one of those anchors in the Alabama defense, especially toward the end of the season. So absolutely, he can come in and, uh, you know, rotate in with William Golson. I, I think him and Vita Vea would be a, uh, a really fierce defensive tackle combo there in Tampa. And like we said, I think that's really the only – Weak spot. I, I don't even know if you can really say weak spot at this point with this roster, but uh, a spot that can use a bit of a boost, I guess, is is a way to put it. I don't even know how, how to put it, but um, this would be one of those positions I think uh, to look at from in, in that aspect. So I think Vea and Barmore would be really tough for uh, opposing offensive lines to uh, to defend or to block. Uh, yes, and the Bucks are hoping that Barmore makes it all the way to 32 for them. And now they're back on the clock again with the 64th overall pick. And uh, they got some intriguing options. I mentioned a potential long-term replacement for Levante David, a guy who, uh, no, no, Devin White did not play with Jabril Cox at LSU. Jabril Cox was playing at North Dakota State for the first uh, three years of his college career before he transferred to LSU last year. He's still on the board. That's an option. Um, Gronk is just back for one year, and... Uh, uh, O.J. Howard uh, is on the final year of his rookie deal, and he got Brevin Jordan available. Uh, the Bucks are very, very deep at corner, but I'm not sure who their slot corner is, and Elijah Molden can be the best slot corner out of this draft class, so uh, lots of guys they can't go wrong with here. No, ab- absolutely not. A lot of potential, uh, potential impact players here as well, you know. Brevin Jordan, Tampa. There, that would be a that would be a really nice tight end room there with uh, with Gronk and OJ Howard, and of course, you know, still Cameron Bright. So, you know, will will they have all those guys? You know, it feels like every year too. We're always asking, oh, is this the year the Bucks are going to trade uh, OJ Howard? It feels like that's a that's a yearly discussion now with this team. Um, corner, like you said, is a uh, an interesting interesting spot but you know i obviously really like the the corner room that they have you know with davis uh, jamel dean sean murphy bunting i think he's a guy that really uh took a big step forward yes in uh 2020 with sean murphy bunting uh, uh yes but i believe carlton davis uh this is the final year of his contract he's coming out of contract next year so drafting mm-hmm. uh, a potential replacement for him wouldn't be the worst idea here. You also got Aaron Robinson from UCF on the board. Another another intriguing name. I think you brought up uh, two good possibilities at the at the corner position there between Robinson and uh, and Molden. Uh, yes, and Molden, uh, uh, like uh, I heard somebody describe him as a quintessential Vic Fangio quarter. Well, uh, when people say Vic Fangio, they say zone, and Todd Bowles is zone too, so Bolden uh, could be a Bowles corner too. <laughs> for sure, for sure. So, you know, I, this would, I think this would be a good spot, you know, not, not a bad spot here at the end of end of round two. I think, so I think this would be a, a, a solid pick. Like you said, he can be... Uh, possible replacement for Carlton Davis. You can move one of these guys inside the slot. You know, so it would certainly give Todd Bowles a, a lot of flexibility here. Uh, yeah. So uh, our choices: uh, Jabril Cox, Brevin Jordan, or Elijah Molden. Yeah, let's go ahead and add to the corner room and go with uh, with Molden here, especially in the division. Because you know, the NFC South feels like you can never have too many. Uh, strong corners with all those uh, all those receivers that you got to defend in this in this division. 
Uh, yes, so uh, we've got Christian Barmore and Elijah Molden to start this uh, three-round Bucks mock. And we are uh, rapidly approaching the final pick of this mock and all our NFC South mocks here on our Dash of the Draft uh, annual tour. And now the Bucks got some options, I believe, at the running back position. You got Michael Carter from North Carolina still on the board. Kenneth Gainwell from Memphis. Trey Sermon uh, from Ohio State. And uh, Leonard Fournette back on a one-year deal. Uh, You got Keyshawn Vaughn uh, and Ronald Jones entering the final year of his contract. But it wouldn't hurt to add a a fourth guy to that room. Tom Brady loved his four back rotations in New England. Adding another one wouldn't be the worst thing. And Michael Carter or Trey Sermon could be terrific value here. Yeah, and you don't know what the future of Ronald Jones is going to be. And Keyshawn Vaughn basically lost the 2020 season, so now he's playing catch-up. Um, yeah, big fan of Michael Carter, and especially here at the end, end of round three. You know, really can't really can't argue the value. You know, certainly I think both North Carolina backs are really, really good. Uh, so it's going to be really interesting to see where they fall. But yeah, my, Michael Carter here at the end of round three, not a bad option at all so michael carter is our final pick of the night to the bucks in the series of nfc south three round mocks and he is once again bill rossetti ladies and gentlemen of si panthers and the Bengals wire and uh, you can follow him once again on twitter at billy underscore rossetti that's r-i-c-c-e-t-t-e Bill, thank you so much once again for joining us. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But our Dash to the Draft divisional tour around the NFL is on to the AFC West in just a few days. So stay tuned. But in the meantime, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that is Crunch with the K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Bill. You can also follow me on Instagram and and Twitter at dcrom59. For Bill Rossetti, this is David Cromwell saying so long, and as usual, wear a mask over your nose, wash your hands, social distance, stay awesome, stay safe, and when it's your turn, and it's coming up in just a few days, folks, please, please get whatever COVID-19 vaccine is available to you. Thank you very much, everybody. <laughs>